Hello and welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am a little under the weather today, so I apologize for any sniffles that happen, but you don't want to really hear from me anyway. You want to hear from my wonderful guest. Welcome back, Matthew Walgren. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me again. Of course. It's always a pleasure to have you. How are you doing lately? I'm doing pretty good. Yep, been traveling a lot, learning about different destinations and stuff. Yes, you have been busy. I see your Facebook posts and all of the fantastic places you're eating, and I am a little yeah. jealous, not going to lie. But <laughs> Well, Matt, for people that haven't heard your past episodes, would you just take a minute to introduce yourself and, um, and what your specialties are within the world of travel planning? Yeah, so I'm a travel advisor, and I specialize in Europe. I actually lived there for a couple years in the Peace Corps. And I also specialize in ocean cruises and river cruises. So it's busy season right now for travelers and travel planners. And I'm fond of the expression coming up to the holiday season that says, give gifts or don't give experiences rather than gifts during the holiday season. And in light of that, I wanted to take a week to particularly bring attention to types of travel that very purposely benefit local people at, you know, in the end destination. And this is where you come in, Matt. Can you please tell us about your special certification and what it means to your clients when they get, when choosing you as their travel planner? Yeah, so I am a certified good travels advisor. That's a program that educates travel advisors on how to ensure that they provide good advice to clients who want to make an impact on their travel or maybe who at least don't want to make a negative impact when they travel. So there's all kinds of tips and, and things um, that they provide and that we can pass along to our clients as well. And since, you know, I was in the Peace Corps for a couple of years, which is the reason why I lived in, in Europe. Um, I've always kind of had this kind of thing in the back of my mind when you travel, making sure that you're not uh, disturbing you know, the community and that if anything, you're doing some good things while you're there, even if they're kind of passive good things. Yeah. And I really like this because it's, it's the kind of mindset that I'm not just taking away from a destination. Like it's not just all about me as a traveler. Like I want to make sure that I'm benefiting the community as much as I'm learning and taking in from the community. Uh, what kind of ways and what kind of things should we be thinking about when we're talking about that, what sort of projects or, you know, areas of travel should we be thinking about when we talk about being good travelers? Yeah. So you can be really active with it. If you want to, you can do Habitat for Humanity and they go all over the world where you can help uh, build homes for people. And that's kind of an, an active sort of volunteerism kind of thing. But there's also things that everybody that can do, even, even little things. So, you know, Stay in local hotels rather than the big chains. Um, stay uh, in places that um, you know treat treat the workers well and and have a sense of community. Um, and also, the good thing about those two is you get you tend to get a more authentic experience. Um, other things you can do is spread the love around with your dollars. Buy from different local artisans. Um, go to different restaurants and different shops each time so that everybody's kind of getting uh, supported by you with your dollars. And those are, those are simple things that, that everybody can do. Now, to get a little controversial, because why not, um, 
you know, there's some controversy between staying at an Airbnb, which Airbnb kind of, not them specifically, but the idea of staying in a local home or something that's meant for, to you know, in a neighborhood. So it's like a local yep. area versus staying in a hotel. Because the idea behind staying in something that's, you know, in a neighborhood that is a house that a local person might live in or might have lived in is that you're getting an authentic experience. But there seems to be some backlash on that and maybe an evolution of, you know, tourism that has now become harmful to local peoples. Do you want to talk about that at all? Right. Yeah. So there is a, for responsible travelers, there is sort of an ethical concern with staying in Airbnbs uh, only because what you're doing is if now a lot of what people have done because of this platform is rather than renting out their home to a, a local family, they're making it vacation rental, you know, and, and that, that kind of thing makes sense in a place like Hawaii and maybe even Lake Tahoe or something like that. But now it's all over in every city where people just aren't renting out their homes to, to locals yep. because they'd rather just have the temporary Airbnb visitor. So what's that do now? These locals can't um, stay, you know, close to work. Um, it raises rents. It just makes it difficult for the local population. And so in certain areas, you're starting to see a little bit of backlash from the local residents who feel kind of put out in their own community. Yeah, we did um, walk past a hotel complex somewhere in Germany. I think it might have been Cologne. I'm not sure, but the sign said it was a first floor apartment and he had a sign or she in their window that said, uh, please consider staying in a hotel. I'm the last resident in this hotel or in this apartment complex because I bought this apartment in the 70s or something. And now every single one is an Airbnb and the locals can't afford the rent. So right. that's an experience I that I had. for travelers. Oh, sorry. No, it's just an experience that I had where at that, up until that point, I kind of hadn't considered or didn't know that we were going that far. So right. anyway, like, sorry, continue. Yeah. And I understand for travelers, they want that sort of authentic experience. They, not every traveler wants to stay in a big, you know, hotel chain. And I get that. So what I would recommend instead when you can stay in a small local boutique hotel, you're going to get that authentic experience. Um, oftentimes those, and especially if it's a, a bed and breakfast type place, which is designed to um, take in travelers, you're going to have that authentic experience and you're not going to be sort of affecting the community in a, in a negative way. Yeah. I guess for me, one of, I mean, I don't actually, I haven't actually ever done one of those experiences because I kind of want some sort of standard of cleaning. I have a problem, but, um, I guess the benefit for me traveling with children would be that there is a kitchen and there's, you know, you can easily find two bedrooms with a common area. And, you know, that's kind of a, kind of a benefit to going that route. But I do know that a lot of hotel chains realize that there's kind of a family style of travel happening and there are more suites and double bedroom type options coming up. So I think that the, mm -hmm. the hotel industry is working to address that. It's just not caught up quite yet. So there right. you go. All right, Matt. So what about like eco travel? For eco travel, it's kind of like reducing your footprint sort of thing. 
So what a lot of people do, um, say when they take a flight, um, you can offset um, the carbon that is you know, introduced into the atmosphere by donating to a place that'll plant a tree for every sort of so many miles you do and something like that to kind of uh, counteract that. Because you do want to travel, you want to get out there. Um, there aren't, as far as I know right now, any way to, to get somewhere without having some sort of environmental footprint, but you can kind of counteract that with, with those sort of things. Um, there's also, you know, being responsible when interacting with local wildlife. So, you know, visiting, there's a lot of, you know, you can ride elephants and do stuff like that. And there are, there are ways to do that in a responsible manner. Um, just be careful with who you're using for those tours, making sure that they're being respectful to the animals and, and treating them right. And if you've got a good travel advisor, they're going to help you make sure that you're, that you're doing that. Yeah. And for people that aren't knowing what Matt's talking about, just go on YouTube and Google, you know, animal, you know, riding elephants and why it's bad or how they raise elephants for these, you know, excursions. Some of it's really gruesome. So yeah, please ask your travel advisor to put you in touch or set you up with a responsible provider. Also because of safety for nothing else, for safety for you. Because yeah, if your animal's treated well, they're going to take care of you too. Um, Now, Matt, um, I want to take your reaction into a Twitter poll that I took because I'm all about the Twitter these days. And I think that you're going to be a little shocked when I read you the results. Now, my Twitter page closed. So while I'm opening it up, would you expand on your time in the Peace Corps and how that has carried through your travel planning and led you to get to the certification? Yeah. So my Peace Corps experience was kind of almost something on a whim. It was, you know, it was the year I was going to graduate from college and I didn't know what I was going to do. Now I studied marketing, so I figured I'd just get a job in marketing and I would get a cubicle and that would be my life for the next 30 years. And it just didn't feel right because I'd never been out of the country or yeah. really gone anywhere. And so on a whim, I decided I'm going to join the Peace Corps. What and did your mother I think? Did. I got accepted. Everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, is he joking? Is this for real? <laughs> like, uh. not a joke. Up until the day I left, people were like, is he serious? <laughs> but um, I, I, I just wanted to do something else. And uh, it's not like I had a lot of money to travel. I didn't, you know, some people do a gap year or do these kind of things. I didn't have money to go travel the world for a year. Yeah. Um, and so the Peace Corps was a perfect scenario because I did get paid, although, you know, you don't get paid much. It's just mm-hmm. enough to kind of live. Yep. But it allowed me, when I did have time for vacation, to kind of go off into different places. Um, but it, I stayed there for two years. So the way the Peace Corps works is you don't jump around. You live in a community for two years. So wow. you, you're encouraged to integrate and uh, you're encouraged to share your experience. So there's there's sort of three main goals of the Peace Corps. And the third one is when you come back home, to share your experience. So what I'm doing now. So um, I'm, now I'm only working on that third goal of the Peace Corps. But the first one is to, you know, go somewhere and, and learn about the culture. And then the second one is kind of, well, since you're there, how about do some good? And you try and do some good. And it's hard, uh, to be quite honest, because you need to make sure that you're working on things that are going to be sustainable. Oftentimes when the Peace Corps volunteer leaves, everything that they did leaves with them. Yeah. Yeah, the project dies. So that was was really careful about that. 
I did a, actually ended up doing a lot. So at, at first it was pretty slow and the organization I was with, um, that I'd been placed with really just wanted me to try and get money in, like write grants and stuff. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't really <laughs> like we have to talk about this cause this isn't, you know, they don't, a lot of companies don't want to grant money for infrastructure projects. That's not what they like to do. So, um, I just went out in the community. I decided every Wednesday I would take a half day and I was going to go out and meet local leaders, businesses, different organizations, the schools, uh, to kind of learn what everybody needed and what they wanted. So I ended up volunteering for a couple orphanages there. We oh, did wonderful. a ceramics class, an English class, an international cooking class. Um, I connected with um, a local school that had a wood and metal workshop, and we were able to get funds to revitalize that oh, and nice. make it a place for kids, not only during school, but after school, they had a program um, for them because there wasn't, I lived in a small town and there was a lot of youth, but not a lot to do. So they oh. ended up just kind of hanging out in cafes and, and maybe getting into a little bit of trouble. Um, so we did that. <laughs> right. Uh, we also started a Meals on Wheels program. We did a program uh, kind of geared towards at-risk youth and some of the orphans because many of them, you know, at, at 18, they have to leave. Oh. Well, they didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't have families, right? So some yeah. of them, if they didn't get into school, needed a, a little interim place to live. And many of them never lived in a home. So they don't know what it's like to live in a home. Okay. Um, so we built a a home for them. Well, it was already built, but we remodeled it and um, and set it up for this program for at-risk youth so they can live there sort of temporarily. Um, we also built a, a youth center, um, and it had um, like a gym in it and games and things like that. Again, getting to that that concept, that a lot of the kids didn't have anything to do there. Yeah, yeah And we wanted great. to create some spaces for them to, to explore and, and, and do healthy things. Matt, so have you won some sort head. of <laughs> good citizen or like – generally good at being human award because you should, these are amazing things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think I have, I mean, I've been recognized by like my congressperson and I think Senator oh. Boxer at the time. And I've gotten some certificates on my wall about that. The city of Sunnyvale where I was from when I came back, they, uh, I, I started getting some recognitions like that, but yeah, no, it's not really about that. That was just about, you know, um, going out there and, and making sure, that we can affect other people's lives for the positive. Yeah, I understand it's not about that because we've done a lot of interviews and I've known you a long time and you've never mentioned any of those things because you're a humble kind of guy. But geez, Matt, those are really amazing things that you did. <laughs> so thank you for being thank you. Yeah, just wonderful. All right. <laughs> well, you. in light of how you travel, this poll is not going to make you happy. Here it is Uh-oh. for your reaction. Are you thinking about sustainable, green, eco, or give back types of travel for your 2019 vacation? Hashtag vacation, hashtag travel. 14% of people said yes. 53% said no. 33% said I should research more. Matt, are you sad? Yes, a little bit. Uh, But I'm excited about the 33%. Yeah. Because that that would be big, um, but it is surprising. I think a lot of people think, and what we're trying to dispel here a little bit is like, you know, they want to travel, but that doesn't mean their whole trip needs to be volunteering somewhere mm-hmm. in some co-op or something. There's lots of little things you can do to help the community, um, 
without having to work your whole vacation. Yeah. So by just starting with those little things, um, and maybe someday, maybe, you know, five years from now, you'll do a a sort of workation volunteer thing. Um, But everybody, every time they travel can do some things. And so that's why I posted, you know, a bunch of these tips on my blog that I know you'll link out to. I will. Um, but another one tip that I really want to talk about yes. on here, just to make sure it gets out there, sure. is, um, and it's a number one tip, and it's uh, the way you interact with children in, in some of these places, especially the, okay. um, the underdeveloped areas, purchasing things from children, um, visiting orphanages, and that sort of thing, um, you think... That's a nice thing, right? But it can actually have a detrimental effect on the children. Uh, okay. Oftentimes, if the children are selling things and they know where all the tourists are, well, if they can get easy money like that, what are they not doing? They're not going to school. Um, and it just kind of perpetuates the cycle of poverty. So okay. we want to make sure they're going to school, not working on the streets. So purchasing things from children is, is not the best idea. Uh, the and orphanages too. We've seen in some instances that they weren't real orphans. They were just put there to live there so that oh, no. the orphanage could make money by having tourists visit. So anything related to children, you want to be very, very careful. Um, if if you're visiting a school, that's fine. That's a different story. But if it's if it's an orphanage or, or buying things from children, um, it can it can really negatively affect their entire life. That's really interesting. I saw an article about that maybe a year ago, and it's interesting to think about, but I guess what you could do is find a reputable organization that works with sort of an endangered youth type population that you could support. Well, why don't we talk about some easy ways that people could you know, directly impact the community they're going to. Let's talk about some organizations that we like that would be an easy thing for you to do. You can still stay, stay at your resort. You can go take your entire trip and maybe nothing changes except for this additional thing that you pack. Let's talk about your one, Matt. Yeah, so the one I like is it's called Not Just Tourists. Mm-hmm. It's actually based out of Canada, but they do have an office in um, Southern California, so Orange County, and basically what it is, it's pretty simple. Um, a few weeks before you're going to leave for your trip, you reach out to them and, and apply. It's a pretty simple form that you fill out, and if they have goods uh, that need to be delivered to the country, uh, particularly medical supplies, um, basically you take an extra suitcase with you and you drop them off at, at an office local to that country, and so those people get donated medical supplies, which is pretty cool. And I, I didn't really have to do much. I just had to take an extra suitcase with me and then I'm done. Awesome. Yep. And there's another one that I want to talk about, which is a similar idea. And that is called Pack for a Purpose. Um, I have a number of my clients that have done this and you can go on this website, which is just packforapurpose.org. And the thing that my clients have specifically participated in that I've done twice also is bringing school supplies to children and orphanages that might need it. You can get involved in a medical type supply if you want to. And the way it works is you as a traveler go to their website or your travel agent sends you the link if they're on it. But you basically select your destination 
And then you, and then you, uh, if you're, if they partner with resorts, so say you go to the Caribbean, most of the sandals properties are listed and I sell a lot of sandals. So they're, and they really promote this. I, I love that part of sandals and the sandals foundation, but you would check, you would select the place that you're going. And then it's going to have a list of all the resorts that participate in this. And basically you click on, like say I'm clicking on beaches, Turks and Caicos, and it says these are project one, project two, project three. And these are the things that this school needs. These are the things that this medical clinic needs. And you can bring them in a suitcase and then bring them in a bag or just somehow clearly label them and leave it with the front desk and they will make sure that it gets delivered. So here's here's an example. Project one is the Charles Hubert Primary School and they, they have 1,200 children ages four to three. And they need book bags, chalk, colored construction paper, colored pencils, these sort of things. They also need reference materials like dictionaries, flashcards, wall charts, art supplies, computer hardware, so flash drives, memory sticks. So it has a very detailed list of the things that they could use. And it might be things that you have around your house already. For example, they have a clothing and shoes category. So new or gently used children's clothing and shoes. I mean, my kids grow out of things that end up at the back of their closet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this was adorable. And they wore it once. So perfect if I was traveling there, has little use on it. It was already there and I could just pack it and bring it. So packforapurpose.org is the one that I want to recommend. And they pretty much have regions all over the world. Um, all right. So Matt, I don't think we've actually talked about your specific certification. Tell us what the certification is and how you got it and what you do with it. Yeah, basically, um, there's. it started with a website. I think I heard uh, about it through another organization called tourismcares.org mm-hmm. because they sponsor it, or it might be actually behind the whole thing, um, but it's called uh, goodtraveladvisor.org. Mm-hmm. And I signed up. There's a fee you have to pay to sign up for it. Um, the training is several hours long. I, I think I did it over the course of a week, mm-hmm. but it just went into each topic um, deeply, how to find uh volunteerism opportunities, um, the various tips that you'd give your clients, uh, and, and so forth. It, it just kind of breaks it down in each section from whether it's interacting with local wildlife, your environmental impact, um, places to, to stay in a sustainable way. It just gets really deep into mm. being a good and responsible traveler so that I can kind of pass that information on to sure. my clients. Sure. And then they have a, a place that you can search for agents near you. And they also have, um, each agent has a profile. And under your profile, you specifically list um, an organization that you like to support. Can you tell us about Kiva.org? Yeah, I love Kiva. It's a like a micro donation site mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Not, not, a, not donation, I wouldn't say. Basically like a micro lending site for people who... Mm-hmm are in underdeveloped countries who are looking for money to maybe expand their farm or expand their, their business. And I think it's really cool because there's personal stories and you can just go through the site and help the people that sound most compelling to you that maybe are connected to a similar business that you're interested in, whether it's farming or crafts or whatever. Mm. Uh, maybe it's an interesting story or maybe it's a region of the world that you're interested in and that you want to support. So basically what happens is 
you give them an amount of money. It can be even small. So say you just have $25. That's fine. Yeah. Maybe you have more. Uh, they take the money and they do pay it back. Um, but it's paid back at, there's not, you're not really getting, it's very low interest rate, um, which is cool. So if they were to go to a bank and try and get funds, maybe they'd be rejected for those loans. They'd also have to pay a high interest rate. In this way, they're, they're still paying it back, but it's at a very low interest rate, which is good for them. Yeah. And I mean, $25 in a developing country, that could be a really substantial amount of money where to me, I'm like, that's, you know, a pair of shoes for my daughter, but maybe that's, you know, a pair of shoes on sale, but it could be the start and the change of someone's life. So that's cool. Yep. And the cool thing is maybe they need $2,000 to do whatever they do. You're just giving 25, but there's a bunch of people around the world who all give 25 or a hundred here, 25 there to get them to the total amount of money that they need. Awesome. Um, one other thing to know is that, uh, if you want to find a good travel advisor, you're going to go to goodtravels.org and where you can find all everyone's profiles, including Matt's and he is Matt Walgren, W-A-H-L-G-R-E-N is how you would find his profile there. Or you can go to Matt's website, which is simply Matt, M-A-T-T dot travel. See, Matt, I've had you on so many times. I got it all memorized. (laughs) It's a good problem to have. But um, one thing that I would like to read out from the bottom of each profile is that this says, Good travel advisors are trained by Tourism Cares, the philanthropic community of the travel and tourism industry, and are supported by an online course, ongoing training, and a learning community of hundreds of travel agents, endorsed by the World Tourism Organization and designed with the help of nonprofits, the Travel Institute, and the American Society of Travel Agents known as ASTA, with support from IATAN and other tourism care networks. So um, anyway, this is not just some hocus pocus certification. These are big names that want you to really think about how you travel and that as far as tourism goes, these are like governing bodies or like advising bodies. These are important organizations. So um, anyway, if you want to find a travel advisor that's trained with this sort of knowledge, you're going to go to goodtravels.org and have some confidence that these are both well-trained professionals and that they're governed and have some kind of accountability through some really high power organizations. Am I saying it right, Matt? Yep. That's exactly right. Awesome. Is there anything that I've not included? Oh, Matt, I know what I wanted to talk about. Gosh. Okay. (laughs) Let's change gears one second before we close out the podcast. For people that have not heard your previous episodes and that we are going away from purely sustainable and eco and good travel, all this sort of thing, we're going to kind of change gears and go purely into the pleasure side of travel planning. Matt, tell us about your last episode that we did, the tour that you're doing, and if it's full or not. Yes, so there is a brand new ship coming out next year. It's a river cruise. Mm -hmm. So if you've never done a river cruise, you've done an ocean cruise maybe, but you want to try the river, um, it's a really cool experience. Mm. This ship is called the Ama Magna. And what what makes it really cool and distinct on this ship is it's about twice the size of all the other ships because they made it a double wide, Mm. essentially. So what's also really cool is even though they made it a double wide, um, they only added about 
20 or so new rooms. Yeah, not that many. Not as many. So you just have bigger rooms. You have more spaces to dine and be entertained. And so I've got some space on this, uh, although we're running low. So if anyone's interested uh, in joining this, uh, you know, reach out to me and we'll see if we can get you on. It's better to do it sooner rather than later. If you come to me, you know, in February, it's probably going to be sold out. The other uh, cool thing. Well, let's that talk that about the date. To, when is it sailing? Oh, yeah. It's uh, sailing June 9th through the 16th. Yep. So it sounds like, wow, that's so far away, but really people plan these sort of trips a year out. And so we're definitely like well within the year window. So if you're thinking about it, just as Matt said, uh, because it is the, the kind of the hottest ship and the newest model of luxury river cruisers, cruise, river cruise ships, excuse me, um, you don't want to hesitate on that one. And that's not just me trying to be sailing, although Matt, I would love for you to get a sail from this podcast. Um, it's it's <laughs> that you'll be sad come February because people will make a decision and just do it and, and they sell out. So there you go. All right, right. go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Very limited space. Yeah, very limited space. Uh, the other cool thing about it, and it's optional, um, but I um, am affiliated with uh, Whiskies of the World. Yep. And so um, I've got uh, their their head whiskey expert that's going to be on the cruise, and he has agreed to anybody who's interested to do some whiskey experiences and some whiskey yep. tastings. And it's no extra fee. It's just included by, by booking this cruise through me um, yep. if you're interested in that. If not, that's fine too. But if you are, it's kind of a nice little – um, I don't want to call it add-on because it's not extra money. It's just included, but just kind of a nice feature that you can participate in. And to be clear, it's included, but it's only included with your group, not for the rest of the ship. That's right. Okay. Right. Only for my group. So you've got to book it through me um, in, in order to have the option to, to do those experiences. And we're going to be doing something different every day, different tastings with dinner yep. every day, um, visiting some local bars um, and lots of different stuff. And, for no extra money. That's And I cool. got a tip from you on the last podcast on how to taste uh, whiskey or scotch better. And I'll tell you, it worked. I, I, I yeah. actually you sat it? Yeah, in a, in a British <laughs> pub. Uh, well, actually, I guess it was a Scottish pub and had a whiskey and did not make, you know, any sort of sour face. I, I managed to enjoy right. it and, and my, <laughs> you know, and I'm not afraid of it now. So that's, that was a good little tip just from having one little podcast suggestion. So a whole a whole river cruise with those sort of advice would be really good, I think, and enjoyable. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Now, how where are people going to find information on that? So they can go to my site, matt.travel, and on the first page, it's going to talk about Alma um, Magna on there. It's going to be on the right-hand side, and they just click there to, to register and we can set up a meeting to, to go through all the details or if they're ready to sign up then just let me know. Awesome. All right, Matt, you are our foodie for people that haven't listened or, you know, are foodies, but anyway, Matt is all about eating the delicious, eating the wacky and the weird because why miss out? Matt, tell us your most recent delicious or just simply memorable meal that you've had anywhere in the world? You know what? The most recent one, and we were, it's local actually. It's, it's nearby where I live. Okay. And we were about to go on a cruise 
to Mexican Riviera yes. just to kind of get us in the mood, like, let's go to this Mexican restaurant. And it turned out to be a Oaxacan Mexican hmm. restaurant. Hmm. And so it's different. It's, they're big on the mole there. Hmm. Um, and I had a, um, what was it? It was, it was a, um, like a chili verde mole dish. Interesting. And it was really good. And what I liked about it is it wasn't, it wasn't so heavy on the mole. It was there, yeah. but it didn't overtake everything. And it still had that chili verde kind of taste. It was really well done. It was, it's just local here in San Jose. Um, but that's the, that's the best meal I've had probably in, in the last month or so, or the most notable. And then um, Jason got some sort of, God, I don't remember the name of it, but it's like, it's like this huge, I don't want to call it a Mexican pizza, but that's kind of what it looks like. It's uh-huh. like this huge um, tortilla looking thing with like all kinds of stuff on top of it and meat oh, in the center yeah. and chorizo. And it, we didn't realize how big it was going to be, but it was really like bigger than, than his head. It was like, <laughs> you could, this, you should, you should have ordered this for like four people, but awesome. we didn't realize we this first time we'd been there and it's their signature dish, but it was very delicious as well. I, I just can't remember the name of, of what it was off the top of my head. Oh man. I, I don't know if I told you, but I'm like starving for Mexican food here in Oxford. And the one time I got severely food poisoned, it was like, it was supposed to be the best place. It was the worst place. Uh, well, probably because there's not a lot of Mexican game in town here. There's another place though that I want to try, but um, we went to see Hamilton actually in London, um, which it's funny because if you want to find where all the Americans are, just go see, go see Hamilton. They're all there. Like, it's like, I don't know, all the Mexicans, yeah, I don't, whatever. But um, right when we got off the train, there was a Mexican place. And I'm looking at the picture that I took of my margarita, which was huge. But I was like, it's it, this is a good sign. The night's starting off right. There's a Mexican place. It's a sign. And so we went in there and ordered margaritas, and they were fantastic. And I took pictures of, they have really dirty names of all their margaritas. I'm not even going to read them out loud. But it was so good. I wanted to t- say what the name was, but I can't find it. Oh, oops. Was it was I think it was outside of Victoria Station. But anywho, there is Mexican food that is worth eating in London. So there you go. I found the name of of my restaurant. Yeah, tell me. Go ahead. <laughs> in San Jose. So if anyone's in San Jose, it's called Al Tule. Okay. It's two words: E Al and then Tule. What's the address? And, um, we'll have, that, give them a full plug. Is the address, oh, I'm in the wrong place. The address is five four four zero Thornwood Drive. There we go. In San Jose. All right, we'll give them a full plug. And just ask them for their signature dish. Nice. It's really good. Or cool. get the the um, the chili verde uh, mole one. That one's really good as well. Awesome. All right, Matt. Well, is there anything else I should include before we wrap this one up? No, I think that's it. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being my guest again. Yeah, I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Well, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying thank you for listening and have a great day.